Hey, you are listening to the Declare Podcast, episode number 98, and I'm your host, Ann Watson. Today, I get to talk to best-selling author Emily P. Freeman about her new book, The Next Right Thing. This conversation is deep and wonderful, and she even shares one of her really big life secrets. This episode is for any communicator who has ever wondered what on earth to do next and how to get it done. So listen in and find out. Welcome to the Declare Podcast. The mission of Declare is to equip women like you to walk in their callings as Christian communicators. Our show takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, writers, speakers, and more. Our conversations focus on their stories and their journeys to engage and grow and manage their unique influence. You're going to laugh, be moved, and get a ton of practical information that you can take action on today, and it's going to help you feel more connected, more confident, and better able to do what God has called you to do. We know your time is valuable, and we're so grateful that you're investing it with us, and thanks for being part of the Declare community. Today's episode is brought to you by the Declare Conference. This event is held annually in the Dallas, Texas area, and it's three days full of incredible speakers, workshops, sponsor markets, networking, dance parties, and it's all designed to help you take your message further. The theme for 2019 is Get Your Hopes Up, and tickets are available now on our website. Seriously, go grab yours today. In our last episode, I got to talk with the biz maven, Jenny B. It was Jenny B's second time on our show, and this time was just as golden as the first. We go into tons of detail about the four critical areas you should focus your energy in your business and a whole lot more. That's episode number 97, so add that one to your queue. But today we're on episode number 98 with Emily P. Freeman. You probably know Emily from her hugely popular books, or from her new podcast, or even from her online writers community called Hope Writers. Emily has joined us on the show before, but today we invited her back to talk about her new book, The Next Right Thing, which I've read and I can tell you, I think it's a game changer. Today we're talking about the decision-making process and her new book, what we tend to get caught up in and on, sacred versus scared waiting, being curious over your life, and her life energy list secret. It is so good. So if you're ready, let's just go ahead and get started with Emily P. Freeman. Hey, Emily, I am so excited to have you. Welcome to the Declare podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, this is actually a really big treat for me to get to talk to you because I have been on the launch team for your Simply Tuesday book, and you are coming out with a brand new one called The Next Right Thing. And I have had a little sneak peek advance copy of it, and it is blowing my mind. It's so great. And so I'm so excited to have you here to talk about it. But before we get to that, for anybody who's been potentially living under a rock and hasn't heard of you or your great work, I'm wondering if you could just take a minute or two and tell us about yourself and your family and maybe a little of your story. Sure. Well, first, thank you for serving on the launch team for Simply Tuesday. Let me tell you, launching a book is not for the faint of heart. And so to have people partner with me and do that together, there's no greater gift. So thank you for that. And that's such a gift. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so I, yeah, I'm married to my husband, John. We've been together uh, 17 years now, coming up on 18. Um, so that's weird to say, because that sounds like a lot of years. And we have three kids. We have twin girls who are 15 and our son is 12. And so, you know, we live 
in North Carolina. So East Coast is my favorite. Love it. And, you know, for about the past 10 years or so, I've been I've been writing my whole life, but professionally writing. My first book came out back in 2011. It was released. And so I pitched that um, in 2009. So if you look at it that way, you know, I've been writing, taking my writing seriously for that long. And in that time, I feel like I've learned a lot. Like I look back to when that first book came out, and I think, wow, I just didn't know a thing, did not know a thing, but um, learned as I went. And so now five books later, I feel like I'm starting to, I'm still learning, but I'm definitely finding my sweet spot. And that for me is at the intersection of faith and creativity. So I love to um, engage in conversation that where those things overlap and sort of helping to create some space for people's souls to breathe so that they can discern their next right thing in love in lots of different areas of life, whether that be a major life decision or creatively, vocationally. And I never see myself as someone who can necessarily tell anyone what to do or give anybody really great advice, but more to create the space so that um, people can begin to listen to their own life along with their friend Jesus. Because so often, we know deep down the answers are in there, but we sometimes don't know how to access them because our days are filled with a lot and there's often a lot of soul clutter happening. So I try to help people clear that soul clutter and um, discern their next right thing in love. Oh, I love that. And I love that you said that you felt like you didn't know a thing when you wrote your first book. I remember hearing Liz Curtis Higgs at a conference once talking about how her first book was going out of print and the whole room was like, oh, and she was like, oh, gosh, no, don't be sad. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> there comes a point when the stuff that you put out in the beginning, you're like, oh, I just wish it would go away <laughs> right? <laughs> because it's such a learning process. But I have loved your books and I love what you say about creating space for the soul to breathe and especially what you just said about accessing the answers that are already inside of you. And yeah. I'm wondering if that had something to do with you writing this book, The Next Right Thing. You know, it did. And there's so many directions that we can go in life and different things. And I think one of the biggest, I wouldn't say mistakes, but I think one of the ways we get most caught up is that we really obsess over doing the right thing, just in general, the right thing, making the right choice, choosing the right partner, going on the right path. And while there's something to that, um, and it, maybe it sounds like, well, Emily, you wrote a book called The Next Right Thing. You host a podcast called The Next Right Thing. Isn't that what you're saying? And I guess I think the key word in that phrase is not the word right, but it's the word next. And so to really focus on rather than looking at life and thinking, what is the right path and what is the most perfect best choice? I think a better question is, what is my next right thing today? Because, you know, none of us arrived where we are by a big, one big decision we made and poof, we're there. It's really a series of tiny decisions. Um, and lots of those decisions are pretty inconsequential and sometimes are just a, a posture or a, a just sort of a moment here and there. But those added up over time set us in a direction. And that direction is, in my experience, far more important than maybe any one single decision. That's really interesting. You know, one of the things that you said early on in the book is that unmade decisions have a lot of power. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that as we get into how to make the good ones. 
Yeah, I don't know if you've struggled with this, Anne, but I definitely, um, you know, when I have a decision that needs to be made, sometimes that can be as small as like, like even right now, there are three things people are waiting for me to tell them a certain decision on. And it's not even a hard decision. It's just, I have to take the time to think about it, look at my calendar, do the thing, right? Right. And that holds power in my day because it's it's sort of a little distracting pull. Like, I know I got to do that thing. You know, I can't really rest. I can't really close my laptop until I've responded to those three things. But in a bigger way, I think unmade decisions when it comes to things like faith, vocation, calling, and relationships, I think those things hold a lot more power because a lot of us feel like we can't rest until those decisions are made. And so... I definitely see the parallel between um, the power of an unmade decision and the way God might be wanting to get my attention and might be inviting me into a transformational relationship with him in a way that I might not be able to access were all of my decisions made and easy. So sometimes it's the beauty, that's the gift of indecision, is that in that interim time between, you know, the, the point of a choice needs to be made and the choice being made, there's a real opportunity in that in-between space to lean in harder and listen in for the voice of God and for how his voice is integrating with my voice on the inside. And that's not always easy to access. And that takes some space and some time, but I think it's worth it. Well, I think that's really interesting how you were talking about the unmade decisions are still occupying space for you. And I think sometimes when we as women don't know which decision to make, what we end up doing is procrastinating. Like we put it <laughs> off or we're waiting for this decision to just like hit us across the head like a baseball bat would. And then suddenly we're just going to know, but that's not always the case. And I love how you say that it's a good space for you to lean into God. But I'm wondering, practically speaking, how do you do that? Well, I think there's a push and pull. I think there is a learning to develop sort of a decision-making intuition, and it's a balance of the two sides of waiting. I've been thinking a lot lately about waiting and what, what that looks like for me practically and how sometimes my waiting is a sacred space. It's a time where God is saying, you know what? It's not time for you to make this decision yet, and I know you'd like to put it behind you, but you're going to need to sit with me in this. But then there are other times where I think my waiting is not a sacred waiting, but it's a scared waiting. It's just switching a couple letters around. But that's when I am waiting for a certain level of peace that I don't yet have. I'm waiting for something to feel um, clear and sure. And sometimes when I think that I'm waiting on God, he's actually waiting on me. And so it's beginning to develop that intuition with him um, in his presence. Well, it, waiting to develop that so that I can know, am I, is this a sacred space or is this a scared space that I'm sort of calling, uh, oh, this is sacred waiting, but really I'm just scared. And there is no formula that can help you discern which one it is. There's only you and Jesus, and listening to your own life in every new choice and decision that you have. Because it could be that you made a decision about schooling or about a certain relationship three years ago, and now you have to re-listen and reconsider. Is that still true for you? Is this still the choice you would make if you're confronted with it again? It's not always sort of once made, always made. And that is the beautiful dynamic life of walking with God. Well, I love that you said that because I feel like that means that if your decisions can evolve, then that gives you space to make mistakes, to try new things, to 
take a risk maybe that you wouldn't normally because it's not a permanent thing. You have right. the ability to learn from it, evaluate it, and then do the next right thing after that. That's right. It takes the pressure off. And it's it's similar to what you were talking about earlier with the books. Like I wrote my first book and I didn't know what I was doing, but I don't regret writing it. And I still believe what I said. Am I a better writer now? I hope so. But that was sort of a snapshot in time. That was what was real in those moments in that period of life. And then now there's something different 10 years later that's sort of coming to the surface. But there, it was still me. It's all still me. And I think the same goes for our decision making. I think sometimes we evaluate whether or not a decision was good or bad based on the outcome. And I guess in some ways that's practical and that's true. But there are different questions we can ask ourselves rather than the measurements that we give of the world, that world gives, like how much or how many or how whatever successful a thing was. I think we can also ask ourselves, did I see God in this? Did I become more fully myself in this? Did I grow closer to God's people in this? Did I learn something I didn't know before? Did I embrace my space as a beginner? And, and those are equally important questions to measure the success of a decision, even if maybe on an external standard, maybe it looked like it didn't go well. But there are more things to learn than I think what we give our decisions and the outcomes of our decisions credit for. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that you said in the book is that the decision is rarely the point. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? <laughs> well, but it struck me because I was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, I put so much pressure on myself to make the right decision. But the decision isn't always the point. It's yeah. more the process. It is. It's the process. And it's, it's not as fun because you it's harder to measure the process, you know, and that sort of requires something of us more than like, well, just tell me what to do. You know, God could tell us what to do, or we could tell each other what to do. But if we just told each other what to do all the time, there would be no building of relationship or love or faithfulness or wholeheartedness. And so there is something, you know, to be said for the mystery of not knowing what to do all the time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think, too, sometimes women, or at least me, like, I'll get tripped up because there's something that I want to do, but I feel like I don't have enough information, or I need to do something first, or I need to get prepared, or whatever that is. And sometimes I worry that that's holding me back, or it's just another form of procrastination. And <laughs> you said something about, we think that if we can understand the decision, that we can control it. And that kind of yeah. like blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, my spiritual director told me that when I was trying to decide whether or not to go to grad school. And I sort of explained to her, like, it doesn't feel like it makes any sense. Because if I don't go, and you know, this is a very first world example, but I'll just share it anyway. It felt like if I didn't go, if I chose to not go, everything would be fine. Like nobody would be hurt. Nothing would be missing. It would be fine. That would have been a fine choice not to go. As well, if I did choose to go, that would be great too. Like either one was good. Either one was a fine choice. But I told her one of the reasons why I was having such trouble making it is I didn't know what the outcome would be. I didn't know what it was going to lead to. Like, because people, you know, inevitably when they hear like I went to school as a grown up, you know, <laughs> you know, they're like, well, what are you going to do when you get out? Or what's basically why? What, why are you doing this? What's the outcome? Which is a normal question. I ask that question, too. But her reaction and her response to that was that there might not be a great this is one, two, three, what my big decision is going to lead to. And sometimes we do think like, well, if I can explain it clearly, um, then I'm in control. And then I won't look like a fool for doing something that I can't explain. We really like to 
explain things. <laughs> I'd really like to have things make sense, especially before I do them. And sometimes I wonder, is that always necessary? If it's an inner knowing, if I have an inner knowing about something, then my ability to explain it or my inability to explain it really is secondary. It's it's more that um, if this is something that feels right and that my people support and that I long to do and that I don't sense anything that God is is not leading a certain way or the other, then I can step into it and see what happens. And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, it feels like sometimes we're trying to justify the decision when the bottom line is, it's just something we want to do. And I feel like, especially for women in ministry, we feel like everything that we're doing or putting out there has to have a justification or a point. And yet we're discounting the value of whimsy. Yeah. And you know, there's something to be said about things having a point. I think it's important to know why we do some of the things that we do. But there can be a difference between knowing my why and being able to explain it to someone else. I think we can get caught up in, well, this doesn't make any sense on paper, or this doesn't make any sense to the person so that I can explain it. And a lot of times that doesn't really have to do with the decision. It has more to do with how I feel like people are perceiving me in my decision making, whether or not I'm wise or making a wise decision. And sometimes that can, that determines what we choose. And I think that's not always, it's not always a great motivator of making a decision. Oh, yeah. So say you wanted to do something like you mentioned going back to graduate school. You know, what if that was something you wanted to do, but your husband wasn't really on board? Then what do you do? Well, I think that's different because my husband and I have a commitment to each other. And so if he wasn't on board, you know, he's not, you know, someone on Instagram. So his right. voice in my life has a lot of weight. So if it's something like that, where because this was a decision that was going to affect our whole family, and we all kind of had to be on board with it for me to move forward. So I definitely think that's a situation where his voice mattered. The reason why this decision was difficult for me was because he was like, go for it. I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I almost would have been easier if he wasn't right, on board. Right. It's clear, you know, that was really clear. But um, yeah, that Pesky support. Yeah, pesky <laughs> encouragement and support. Sheesh. What are right. they thinking? Life is so hard. <laughs> what a rough, 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 rough life. <laughs> okay, so then I wanted to ask you a little bit about sometimes I feel like women are really trying to choose between a couple of things or decide about a couple of different things, but they're all good things. Yeah. And so you talk a little bit about getting rid of your pro and con list and making a different kind of list. And I'm wondering what that is and how that can help them decide what the next right thing is when they have a lot of good things to choose from. Well, a pro con list can have a place, but I've found in my own life, it's not very helpful. And I tend to make pro con lists when I'm in a state of desperation and I'm trying to figure something out and I'm looking for the clues and the patterns. And I've discovered that when it when I make a pro con list, it's usually too late. <laughs> that that really is a a more important list that I want to be in the habit of making on the regular. And rather than looking at a decision forward, which is what a pro con list tends to do, like what's the outcome going to be? What are the good things that this could bring? What are the difficult things? What I practice is um, a life energy list, which is where you and we'll get real practical here, okay. where you. Pick pick a specific period of time. So let's say you have a decision to make about um, 
a opportunity in ministry to travel somewhere and, and speak somewhere or something like that. Or I'm trying to think because declare that's a lot of the women are doing that, right? They're serving a ministry and or they're writing or they're. Oh, yes. They're speakers. They're podcasters. Work. Yeah, right. Okay, so in that world, I think a lot of times we get these opportunities that come our way, let's call them that. And and we can maybe sometimes wonder, oh, the, I, I probably, I should do this maybe, or I could do it, or maybe I want to, or maybe I don't know. But but one thing we can do is you pick a specific period of time. So say the last three months or the last six months, but make it specific um, and manageable. So I wouldn't look at the last five years, but you could, I guess. But pick a, a specific manageable period of time and then pick a topic, like a, a part of your life, like for example, your speaking life or your writing life or whatever it is that this decision overlaps with. And then what I would encourage is to make two lists. One is a life uh, draining list and one is a life giving list. So you look at that period of time and that certain area of your life and you think, what are the things I've done like this that have been life draining to me that have sort of, when I'm done with them, I look back and I think, these were the negatives to that. And it sort of made, when I think about that thing I did or that place I traveled to or those people I met or whatever the thing is, do I have a sense of rise or do I have a sense of sort of like, uh? and I think there's not a lot of words I can put to that, but for those people who sort of operate in the instinct realm, you kind of know what I might be talking about here. But if you're someone who is more of like a thinker, you know, you can write down what were the pluses, what were the minuses of something you've are a decision you've already made, rather than looking forward to a decision you're going to make and guessing what the pros and cons would be. We're looking back at stuff we've already done. It's a life of reflection. It's letting our own lives tell us a story about what our future might hold and what we might long to do. And so when you do that for things that were life draining, as well as things that were life giving, um, you think about when I hold that particular um, memory in my mind. What happens to my body? Do I rise? Is that a fond memory that I have? Was that beneficial to me in some ways or to my family or, um, you know, whatever rubric you use that means that something was life giving to you and you write those things down, those different things that you did, the benefits of those things. So you ha now you have a life draining and life giving. And I guarantee you, and I recommend that you actually write the list down that could be on your phone, or it can be in a notebook or whatever. But there's something about the act of seeing it there, you know, life draining, life giving, start with a life draining so that you can end on the life giving. That's a better order of doing things. Sure. And then now you have some evidence, you know, now you have something to look at based on what you've already lived through that can help inform a future decision because it can help you see, oh, maybe this thing that I just always do, I'm I'm trying to decide to do something and I'm basing it on what other people might think is a great opportunity versus what actually in my own experience felt like a great opportunity for me. I think that's one of the things, that phrase, great opportunity is something that can really trip us up because we get asked to do something and we feel like we need to say yes because it's such a quote unquote great opportunity. And when we consider what our next right thing is in decisions, especially when these opportunities come our way, I think it's really important to get down to some real specifics about what we mean when we say something's a great opportunity. Because really, a great opportunity is really not a complete enough sentence. We need to say this is a great opportunity to and then fill in the blank. And whatever is filling in the blank, that becomes the thing that you have to evaluate. Is that thing something that my season of life can currently support? So if this is a great opportunity for you to meet new people or to make some money or to whatever the thing is, but then you also have to evaluate, okay, but and is this a time in my life 
when that's one of my goals that I'm trying to meet. Because often great opportunities are really, they're really just glorified favors (laughs) or they are, you know, a volunteer thing. Or I think a good question to ask yourself is if this was called out into a crowd, is it something I would raise my hand for? That can be one measure of whether or not this is a great opportunity for me right now. That's a lot of words, but those are some like practical things to do that could take the place of a pro con. Oh, no, I love it. In fact, I'm already like designing a life draining life giving list in my head to (laughs) keep on hand. Like, I think that's such a great way to look at it. And yeah, I love that you said that the pro con list by the time you get there, it's usually too late. It is, which is why I would recommend that you make a life draining life, a life energy list on the regular. I do this every like a three month rotation, sort of a a living a life of reflection, practicing reflection, because then you're establishing a lifestyle that can support soulful decision making because you're aware, you know, you're up to date on what's life giving and what's life draining rather than waiting until the decision has to be made. And you're like, oh, wait, let me look at my life. Oh, my gosh, I'm you know, it's too much. So I think that's sort of the long game. But that can help inform future decisions, I think, way better than a pro con list. Okay, so let's say that somebody does this and then they go ahead and make a decision, but they're not really having peace about it or they're second guessing themselves or they're just worried they made the wrong decision. I mean, what kind of advice would you give them? I think it's a great question. And I I guess it would really depend on the person, on what's going on in their life and what the decision was. And I would also say, where is the hesitancy coming from? And I would love to sit down with that person and ask a few questions. And one question I think I would ask would probably be, are you second guessing from a place of love or from a place of fear? I don't think that our father gives us doubt in a fearful, anxious feeling way. I think there's a certain kind of there's a certain kind of second guessing that he might provide and sort of prompt us with, but it tends to feel more rooted and more grounded um, than like a buzzy feeling of um, just fear, a general fear. I think sometimes when we can't name specifically why we're second guessing it, and it's just a general sense of um, anxiety, I think we can pretty much know, you know, that's probably just, that's something that is maybe not from him. But if it's something that is very specific and it doesn't feel like it's coming from a root of fear, but it's coming from more of a a reasonable concern, that's something maybe to pay attention to. But I do think that question of, am I being pushed by fear or led by love before a decision, during a decision and after a decision is a really important question to ask. And a lot of times that's all we need to help us weed through some of the decision-making clutter that can come up when we're trying to either make a decision or when we're looking back at one we've already made. Okay, so let me ask you this. When uh, you're looking at your life energy list and you have made the decision about what you can and can't handle, and one of those great opportunities that is right in line with your life goals presents itself, but you've already kind of ruled it out for that season, I mean, what do you do? I think people might have this the FOMO, the fear of missing out, or the fear that that opportunity may never again come. So what do you do when something that you really want that you're working toward is in conflict with your season of life? (laughs) That's a great question. And I think, again, I think it would depend on the person and their certain situation. But I guess a question I would ask would be, why is this in conflict with season of life? And if it's something that's just super practical, like 
I don't have childcare, so I can't do the thing. Um, you know, some of those things are really cut and dry. And it's like, I think it comes down to, do I trust that my pace is my pace and there's no such thing as behind? Do I trust that God is with me and he won't let me miss what's best for my life. And then sometimes there might be a situation where I say, do I trust that even though I didn't think this was the right season, this might be the right time for this. And that could be a, an important yes. So it might not always make sense on paper, but I do think the the more important thing is to, to consider every decision as if it's for the first time and to be careful of making blanket decisions about any season of life. Um, I think we can have a posture and we can have goals and we can have knowing and being aware of what's life draining and life giving, but also taking each thing as it comes and thinking, okay, with this certain decision, what is my next right thing? And it's not always to make the decision right away. Sometimes it's to carry it for a little bit and consider it. I mean, there have been times when I have thought, this is not the right thing. This is not the right time. One of those was when my husband with a job offer, this is years and years ago, but there was a certain job offer and they made it to him and we were like, no, not right. And a year later they came back and it was the same job offer. And this time we were like, well, let's think about this, <laughs> you know? And it was just because it was a different timing. And I would have said like right before that offer came in, I would have said, no, this is not the season for that. We're not in a place for that. But once it came, we had to consider it. And sure enough, um, my mind was changed. And that was just through a process of prayer and conversation and and really considering one next right thing after the other that eventually led to making that move. But it's not always super clear on the front end. And two, to say the the life draining and, and life giving, it's a way of gathering information and being curious over your life. But it's not necessarily to say that you'll never do something on your life draining list and that you'll always do only the things on your life giving list. I do life draining things all the time. But this is in those areas where we have a choice because there are so many that we do have choice in. And those are kind of the places where we're talking about here. So you're saying the life energy list is not the boss of you. It's just kind of a guide. Right. Don't let anything be the boss, but it can be, yeah, it could be, it's a tool for you to use in order to help you listen to your life better. And if there's a, a time when it doesn't work or it's not serving you, throw it out. You know, it just, it's one more thing that could help um, in a season of indecision and, and chronic overwhelm. So when you say chronic overwhelm, it makes me think of something else that you said in the book about how the world is run by worn out people. And <laughs> when I read that, it just made me think, like, when did we confuse the idea that the opposite of busy was lazy? Yeah, right. I mean, you are all about the soul minimalism. And I'm just wondering, how do you stop being overwhelmed and pull back enough to find that space? It takes a lot more energy to create space than it does to just keep filling it. And I think that's why we are worn out is because the energy it takes to rest, it's a very active energy. And so it doesn't really take any energy to be lazy. But I do think that resting is a, is more of an active thing than I've maybe previously given it credit for. And sometimes things can rise to the surface when I slow down that I don't like to face. And so I think it's much easier to stay in a state of movement and busyness. And in some ways, that's what some of our lifestyle requires. But I do think that we do swing a lot, don't we, between a really high state of activity and then just like crashing and, you know, kind of disengaging. 
but then rest is like this different space. And I'm really still learning kind of what that looks like. But I do know that if I wait until I need a month off, it's probably been a little too long. So engaging in daily moments of silence or of just kind of nothing has been really, really helpful for me. And I don't always do it, but I've found that you know, there is, there's prayer and there's Bible reading. Yes. But there's also stillness and silence in God's presence just for the sake of being together and not for the sake of learning anything necessarily. And those are times that I have found to be really life-giving. I love that you said the energy that it takes to rest because I had never thought about it that way before, but you're so right. It actually takes energy to rest. And then when you were talking about feeling overwhelmed, suddenly Netflix binging popped into my head. Like (laughs) we run ourselves so ragged that like a clue that we may be doing too much is when we crash and we're binging on Netflix. I'm just It's so fun though. It's just so fun. (laughs) It is fun. It is it's escapism. It's really good. But that all made me think too about my friend Crystal Stein. She's got a book out called Holy Hustle. Yeah. And it is about finding rest in the busyness and how it actually looks different for people. Like for some people, rest might be going to an amusement park with your kids. That's right. That would be a nightmare for other people. But it's just what does rest mean to you? And that's, I think, what you mean when you say that there's energy and it's active to rest. It is. And that can go back to that life energy list is what's life giving? What type of rest is life giving to you? And it might be different now than it was five years ago. And it might be different now to you than it is to your best friend. But you're right. It's just a practice of paying attention to your own life. Well, and that right there requires making the decision to do that sometimes, because I think women and moms especially are just used to putting themselves and their needs and their everything kind of on the back burner in favor of someone they love, which is not necessarily a crime. But I think you have to make the decision to pay attention to your life because you could very easily lose sight even of what you want for yourself if you don't do that. Yeah, knowing what you want and getting what you want are two very different things. And I think we've put them in the same category. And we've said, oh, well, if I say what I want, then I'm being selfish. No, demanding what you want is being selfish. But admitting what you want is a gift. Because if you don't admit what you want, what you want remains beneath the surface. And then you're just stuffing it. And then you move through life, this sort of disgruntled, unsatisfied person who is responding to a world who's not giving her what she wants. And in reality, what a beautiful thing that we have a God who asked people all the time in scripture, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? He asked them questions of desire. So for us to answer those questions is not the same thing as us saying, I must get what I want. It's very different, but I think we've clumped it all together like, oh, admitting desire is selfish. No, demanding what you desire is selfish, but admitting it is a gift to your family. Because if I do not get what I want, then I can at least admit it's there and more quickly release it and heal from it than if I don't admit it in the first place. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. So, okay, the last question, though, that I want to ask you about decision making is just where is God in this? I mean, I know that I have done it in the past where I just want God to tell me the answer. Which way do I go? And I once heard Beth Moore say that she had trouble making a decision. She didn't know if she should go right or left. So she just went right. And then she kind of felt like God said, I pushed you right. And so I'm just curious about how do you 
do this life list and, you know, be curious about your own life and look at making a decision and have God come alongside you kind of as a partner in that process? It's a great question. And I think the mindset shift is, is beginning to see what ways am I coming alongside of him? And rather than thinking the other way around, and, and it's both, it is both, but there's not really a great, you know, one, two, three, I do this and then, and then we're doing this together. It's just, I think that's the beauty of the phrase, just do the next right thing is that that's a place where I can state my desire in his presence. And then I get up from my place of stating that desire and I just do the next thing that makes sense. And it's a real act of faith of trusting that, you know, I'm going to choose this. And if this is not what's best for me, I'm going to trust that he will let me know. We have a God who who wants to partner with us. It's not like he has this plan for us that he's hiding behind his back and we have to push all the right buttons and, you know, figure it out like a puzzle in order to arrive and win. You know, it, life isn't like that. But I think sometimes we think that he's like this carnival worker who has three cups and the right answer is beneath one of the cups. And we just have to, he's going to mix them all up and try to trick us. And then we have to figure out, he's already told us his plan. It's to love mercy and to walk justly and to walk humbly with our God, to, to love. What is that? I've said it wrong. To love Oh mercy. my gosh. Did you forget it too? Well, just because you said, what is it? And now I'm questioning myself, but I think I it's it with walking humbly with yeah, your it's God. walking humbly, love, justice, justice, some, justice, mercy, and humble and humility. Those Let's just say things. that. Yeah. But it is, it's that, that space of walking humbly is really the practice of doing the next right thing and not trying to do the next big thing and not thinking that you have to figure out this big plan. I think it's, it's the curse of, you know, going to college and everybody asking, well, what are you going to do with your life? I mean, that's, I really feel for people who, for like young adults coming out of college and feeling all this pressure to like, choose the right career path, choose the right quote unquote spouse or the right place to live. And maybe there's no right or wrong. Maybe there's just doing the next right thing that seems right as you're walking with Jesus. And then let's see what happens. What about that? I actually really like that idea. I kind of like the the possibility that it implies that, you know, you do the next thing in front of you and who knows what's going to happen next. It's like this big adventure instead of a decision prison. Right, right. A decision prison. It's to do justly, to love mercy and walk humbly. I just remembered it. It came because it's a song. Yes. I, ha- I mean, it's a verse, but it's also a song. It is so a, a song. song yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I think all of this is so great. And it actually brings me to my next question, which is, you know, our community is just full of Christian communicators and we are always trying to equip and train and encourage them. But it's sometimes challenging because technology is changing so fast. And so I love to ask everybody that comes on the show, you know, with the next big thing coming on technology wise, what are you loving right now? And what are you completely over? (laughs) Well, I, you know, with technology, you mean? Well, with technology or any tool that a Christian communicator would use to help in their mission. Yeah. Well, I'm loving Instagram. I know that's a social platform, but I do feel like there's a great opportunity there still. It's just such a, it's such a lovely place to hang out still, in my opinion. I agree. Um, Yeah. 
And so I, and that, and the stories there's, you know, that's something really fun to play around with. They've extended the stories now so we can talk a little bit longer (laughs) and not just 15 second little blurbs. And I think that's really kind of fun. So that's something I, I enjoy playing around with and that it's work, but it doesn't feel as much like work. It feels like fun work. Um, it might not always feel that way, but, um, that's something I'm loving. And then I've used Voxer for a long time and, um, you know, we've talked on Voxer before and so that's something I know you use too. Yeah. Um, but and I'm not over it at all because it's such an important part of my work. But lately, I've gotten a little behind on a lot of those messages. And so I find myself feeling a little anxious, you know, when I see a lot of those orange dots that say I have unread or unheard messages. I don't love that feeling. So oh, I'm so with you on that. I had to turn off know? the notifications just to decrease the stress. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, listen, I don't have notifications on anything. So that's definitely something that helps a lot to not have notifications. But I do think, though, it's such a great tool because it connects me with my mastermind. It connects me with my I run a membership site for writers. And so me and my business partners, we have all of our conversations on Voxer. And that's how we plan everything really is through Voxer and Basecamp. We use Basecamp, too, for a lot of our like, you know, details and stuff like that. So it's a great tool, but it's also it can be overwhelming. It can be. But you know, if used appropriately, then I think that it's a lot of fun too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the last thing that I want to ask you uh, has to do with our 2019 theme, which is get your hopes up. We have just, you know, last year was warrior and we were getting battle ready and spiritual warfare, all that stuff. And we're just worn out by it. And so now we want to just get a positive look at life. And so we're asking everybody, what are you getting your hopes up about now? You know, that's a fun question. I will say, you know, this summer, honestly, I'm looking forward to this summer because I will tell you last summer, because I'm in grad school and last summer was our only summer that we had class because it's two year program and last year was the summer in the middle. And so I had two classes over the summer and I just, it wore me slap out. And this summer I will be graduated by the time the summer comes. So I really have high hopes about doing some active resting this summer with my family. Cause you know, my girls are going to be going into 10th grade and if you count, that's just a few more summers left for them to be home. And so, you know, that's maybe a more personal answer, but I really do have my hopes up about some rest and um, connection this summer. I think that sounds so beautiful. And, you know, I'm going to be watching. I hope everybody listening will be too, because you are the queen of being a soul minimalist. And I feel like if anybody's going to have that kind of summer, it's going to be you. So I'm going to be following to, you know, see what I can uh, copy off of you. Well, maybe you'll you'll be following radio silence because maybe I'll be totally shut down. We'll see. We'll see, Anne. But even then, I might just follow that. You might still follow it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Emily, I'm just so grateful that you came on the podcast today and that you are sharing just all this hard one wisdom and your new book. I know that it's going to be phenomenal. And I just, I hope everybody follows you and buys the book. And I'm going to put links to Hope Writers, which is the writing membership site that you are one of the founders of. And your podcast, because I just think we can't get enough right now of all of the goodness that you are putting out. Well, thanks, Anne. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been so fun. Wasn't that so great? I am dying to know what stuck out to you today. Let us know what you think about this episode. Did you have a favorite quote or an action item you're going to implement? The best discussions happen in our Facebook community. So I will meet you over there. 
All the links for this episode and everything else that we mentioned today are in the show notes on the website or when you scroll down on your podcast app. For all things Declare, head to our website, wearedeclare.com and get information about everything you could want to know. Sign up for the emails too, so that you can be the first to know about our big announcements. Also, grab your conference ticket. We hope every episode of the Declare podcast inspires and encourages you. Thanks for always listening, and we'll see you next time on the Declare podcast.